This podcast is produced by The Brand is Female. Hi, I'm Mungi. Welcome to the Everyday Ubuntu podcast. Make sure that you're constantly fueling both sides of your heart, meaning find things that pump for art and find things that pump your heart for activism. This week, my guest is Olivia Charmaine Morris. She's a film and TV producer, and in lockdown, she also became a founder and CEO when she started her production company, Black Monarch Entertainment. At Black Monarch, they believe in centering, amplifying, and celebrating otherness. In this episode, we discuss Olivia's journey in the industry that started when she was very young, the clever decisions she made in school, and how she maintains relationships. She shared that naps are reparations, something I very much support, plus a new way to consider spring cleaning that I will definitely be incorporating in my life. She's accomplished so much already, but I would definitely say she is one to watch. Here's our conversation. Welcome, Olivia Charmaine, to the Everyday Ubuntu podcast, and happy Pride Month. Um, I'm very excited to have you with me. And I would like to start by asking you the question that I ask all my guests, and it's, you know, it's about how our resumes are not a full explanation of who we are as a person. And so I'm wondering, because of that, what would you say is missing from your extensive resume? Well, thank you so much for having me. It's nice to meet you. Happy Pride Month for sure. I would say what's missing is just my absolute love of art. I think right now my resume really highlights the fact that I've been an executive for many years and now that I'm a producer and have my own company. But outside of that, I consider myself an artist and I truly love all forms of art, whether it's visual art, music, poetry, uh, writers, comedians, all kinds of things. So I definitely want to highlight that I am a true artist artist. A true artist artist. I love that. And, you know, in addition to being a true artist artist, I know you're a business owner, um, you're in production, but could you just give my listeners like a brief description of who you are? Of course. So I started off working in development in Hollywood, which basically means that it was my job to hear pitches and decide whether or not I was going to pick up that show for a network. I've worked in television for many years. And after working at various networks, whether I was in children's programming, working at Nickelodeon or DreamWorks, or I was working in adult content, working at TBS, I also have been a producer. I worked with Carrie Washington over at Simpson Street last year before starting my own production company called Black Monarch Entertainment. So now I'm still a film and TV producer, but I am tasked with finding projects and taking them to networks to try to sell them. And could you, you know, share the origin story of Black Monarch? Because I think you're coming up on like your first year anniversary. Yes, absolutely. So the origin story of Black Monarch, I will say that I've had the idea of starting a production company for many, many years. I never knew when the perfect time was to start it. But during the pandemic. I was going to say, so naturally you started it during a pandemic. <laughs> right, right, right. Isn't that funny? Um, I, I started it during the pandemic and a lot of people have asked me, you know, did that slow the company down or was it a hindrance? And what I'll say is it's actually allowed us to be incredibly adaptable and malleable as a team because we've done everything virtually. And as the world is starting to open up again, we've realized that we can still allow ourselves to be remote workers and work from wherever and still get the job done, which is really exciting. So the origin story, as I said, I've been working in Hollywood for over a decade and 
had started producing alongside with Carrie. And I basically realized that all of the things I was doing to help sustain her business, whether that was bringing in relationships and resources and ideas and talent, I realized that I could either stand behind her doing that work or stand beside her and do that work for myself. So I decided to become an entrepreneur. Again, I never knew exactly the right timing, but I think during the pandemic, it was a real moment of self-reflection and introspection for a lot of people. And I realized that now is the best time as ever while everything is virtual and I can save money on an overhead on, you know, having a, a office space or mm -hmm. driving around to take different meetings or having to fly to take meetings. And I can do everything through my computer. So it actually became incredibly convenient for us. I was gonna say it's like very scary, but I then remember that I also last August started the podcast in the pandemic too. So like nice. everyone is sort of on the same wavelength. Like, yeah. I, yeah. Well, and, and starting a podcast too is all about connection. And that's really what the company is about. It's about connection and storytelling and putting people and ideas together. And I think the pandemic was such a time of real isolation. And so having that desire to connect with other people and find a way to communicate and kind of cut through all of that noise, um, I can definitely relate to what you're doing as well. Yeah. And, you know, you said that you've been in entertainment for like the last decade, but how did you get into it? Like, was it this the passion from when you were younger or did it come later on? Like, where did it all start? I've actually had a love for Hollywood since I was about three years old. Oh super random. I know it's super random because I grew up in Ohio. So I didn't grow up in Los Angeles. I don't have family members that were in the business by any means, like a lot of my peers and colleagues. I grew up watching old movies and always loved stars. Like the Oscars was my favorite night of the year since I was really little. I always tell the story, but when I was five years old, I was able to choose the theme of my birthday every single year. And that year when I turned five, I asked for a Hollywood party. Oh my God. I know. <laughs> my friends and I all decorated stars on the Walk of Fame. We had a fashion show. We, I sat in a director's chair. And that's and that's what I wanted. You know, I asked my mom how to write in cursive so I could sign my autograph. Um, so this is it's it was truly a calling. If that's not a calling, I don't know what is. Um, mm -hmm. I started off actually being a performer. So I used to act and sing and dance. I used to do musical theater. I did commercials. I worked in front of the camera, behind the camera. So I decided to go to school at Tisch for film and TV production. Basically being an actor, especially being a dark skinned female actress was incredibly difficult. And I was a really smart kid, very academic, nerdy kid. And so I understood that even when I was like 10, 12 years old. Yeah. So I realized that if pursuing acting was gonna be incredibly difficult for me. I wanted to have a curricula that I could fall back on. And I realized that if I learned all about the business from a 360 point of view, from production to financing, to marketing, to, you know, again, physical production, how to shoot something, edit something, do the sound. If I could learn all of those things, maybe, just maybe, I would find another passion of mine. And that's how I fell into development. That is actually very clever. Most people are like, no, we're just gonna, push on this one path, which I also understand. But like, yeah, why not like, be like, well, there's another way into the same sort of arena. 
Yeah. And for me, it's because I started working on sets when I was still in middle school and high school. And during the downtime, after the director would say cut, I would start talking to the cameraman or the makeup artist or the editor, someone who was doing the sound. And I realized there were so many other roles in the business outside of just the performer. And so, you know, you're only... 16, 17, when you decide what you're going to go to school for, what you're going to you know, do for the rest of your life, which is wild. But I decided if I went into production, there might be something else for me. And development is something that most people don't really explain what it is. And I love explaining development because it's such a critical part of the business that I think is typically opaque. Yeah. So how I explain development is it is the process of forging content creation. So it's everything from finding what's new, what's next, and determining how to strategize for the network. So you're tracking trends, you're finding new talent, you're determining what shows, you're, if, if you're working in television, what shows you're picking up, if you're working in film, what movies you're gonna pick up. And you have to have a really discerning taste. So you're reading thousands of pages of script material every year, you are having to track up and coming writers, up and coming actors, all, all that. And I had a development executive professor when I was a freshman in college and she worked full-time at MTV. Wow. She was an adjunct professor teaching just that one class in the summertime. And if I hadn't had that class where she explained what the job was and that it was in an office and it was a steady paycheck. And cause at that point I would just been working on sets for film at film school. And I was not loving it. I didn't love the the idea of working on set all night long, uh, drinking coffee, smoking cigarettes. I was like, I don't know if I want to do this. But she's like, oh, there's a way to be in the business where you actually are on an executive track. And from that point forward, every internship I had was in development. Every assistant job I had was in development. And I was able to say I'm on the path for development. And so a lot of people don't know what it is. There's no major for it. There's no minor for it, even if you go to one of the top film schools. So that's why I'm really passionate about talking about it, um, because it's a position of power. I mean, the way you just explained it, like now I want to be in development. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, now I want to do this as well. Yeah, it's it's really it's a special part of the business. And it goes on not unappreciated, but it's underrepresented, I will say, because when you're watching the award shows, there's no award for best development executive. However, they're the ones that have found your favorite show. So let's say your favorite show is Game of Thrones. You might know who the actors are, the writers, the director, the producers, all these people. But what about the person who read the script or heard the pitch and said, oh, Game of Thrones would be a great show for HBO, right? I think that's, it's in the same way that like, you should acknowledge the costumer and acknowledge the VFX and all these people. I think that development executives should be acknowledged for their role, but they're often in the shadows. And a lot of times when people say, man, I wish that there was more representation in programming. I wish there was more shows like my favorite show. I wish there was more Insecure, more Atlantis, things like that. It's really the development executives that are people of color, that are queer people, that are you know supporting marginalized voices that find those programs. So to have been a Black queer woman in those roles, I knew that I had such a responsibility to really be pushing that agenda. Mm -hmm. And I was really grateful that I that I was able to do it for so many years. 
well, you know, you mentioned being a black queer woman in Hollywood. And so I wonder what your experience has sort of been like in, in the industry. It has been incredibly special, I will say. I very early on in my career realized that I wanted to be a part of Black Hollywood specifically, and I sought people out. So whether that was seeking out other producers to be to befriend, other development executives, actors, writers, comedians, talent, I realized that I wanted to be a fixture within Black Hollywood. And so that experience, it actually was really welcoming, I will say. Black Hollywood, especially younger generations, we realize that there, there is no I in team and we're better together and we're better when we pull each other up. So I've had a, a very welcoming experience, I will say in Black Hollywood. I would say, you know, from the perspective of being a woman, I will also say that I started a feminist organization at a couple jobs ago when I was at TBS. And that was a very, I will say fulfilling experience because I was able to help create an environment for women to do everything from community service and fundraising to self-defense classes. We had screenings and talkbacks and panels, and it was incredibly informative as well as being a safe space. And I created it because there was nothing really like it. And that's kind of what I'm known for is if something doesn't exist, creating that space. I've also created uh, an organization for black executives, producers, agents, managers, and attorneys called The Plug. And The Plug's been going on for about four years. And we send out job information. I say we, but it's me. <laughs> um, I send out job information and uh, job leads to everybody. We also do uh, wellness checks, we send out client information, projects, things like that. But the most important thing is whenever a job becomes available, whether it's an assistant role all the way up to like an SVP, EVP level, it's coming through us just to black executives. And there's over 300 people in the group now. And I can't tell you how many times someone has got back to me saying, hey, I actually got that job or I forwarded to someone and they got that job. I love that. Yeah, it's been it's been really exciting. So. I came to Hollywood with no black friends and now I have hundreds because I was like, I wanted to foster that environment. So that's, that's what I really encourage people to do is really identify who you want your tribe and who you want your community to be and then seek after it actively. Yeah. Well, and my brother's in production, so I may tell him to join the plug thing. Absolutely. Add another person to list. Um, you know, you're, you're speaking about your tribe and, and forming relationships in Hollywood and it, to me, it sort of seems like Hollywood is built on who you know, and as you said, relationships, which is very close to Ubuntu and how like it's all about our interconnectedness and how I am because you are. And so I wonder how do you maintain your relationships in the industry? I maintain my relationships in the industry by being genuine and by being myself. I realize that your network continues to grow and grow and grow. And now there are hundreds of people that I know that are in the business. And how I stay in touch is by trying to remember special things about them. You know, whether that's remembering their birthday, their anniversary, remembering how long they've been at a company if they're coming up on a work anniversary, remembering, you know, who their assistants are, what kind of projects they like. And I check in. I don't just check in when I want something or when I need something. I think that's the most important thing is I will maintain relationships for years. And then finally, once I feel like we've established a rapport, a friendship even, 
then I might come to them and say, hey, you know, I started a company and I need some support. I need some help. You know, here's what I'm working on. Here are projects that I think might be a fit for you now that I've, you know, spent years understanding their taste and their brand and their their marketplace. And people have been genuinely very, very receptive and open to helping now that I've developed those relationships for years. And I think going back to your question about my origin story, starting the company, that was a really big piece of why I decided to leave is because before I, I left and started the company officially, I called on several different people that I admire, whether they were producers or agents or managers or my attorney. And I asked them, I told them what I wanted to do and asked them for advice. And every single person, really except for one, uh, every single person basically said, you know, if uh, to a certain effect of if you jump, we'll catch you. We believe in you. You've got this. You know, it's we got you. Yeah, and so that was really, really assuring. And I, I know the value of saying yes and to somebody. And so I always hope to be that person moving forward that can help support and firm up other people's, you know, beliefs in themselves. I think that's really, really important. Yeah, and I totally get you on the like the birthdays and anniversaries and things. I I, I don't know, it just like makes me feel good to do those things. I like get legitimately offended when someone tries to tell me it's someone else's birthday because I'm like, I know I've already texted them. Like, <laughs> yeah, I've already <laughs> called them. Thank you though, I'm good. Um, exactly, it's important, and LinkedIn makes it so easy too. I mean, I just have them on my calendar because I just like I love I love birthdays, so I want everyone to have the same energy for mine that I have for theirs. Yeah, I love that. That's really important. And whenever I get to know somebody too, I'll, I'll you're right, I'll put it in their contact card just so I mm -hmm. have it up on my calendar. And when I share mine, my birthday's in there. So I'm like, you know, like what goes, <laughs> what goes around comes around. And I, I really think that, yes, the industry is built on relationships and who you know, but it's also built on honesty and trustworthiness. And it's really built on... Um, constant communication, all of those things, you know, and it's built on karma. So if you put out good energy, you're going to receive good energy back. That's why I said, you know, the black community was really welcoming to me because I came in with open arms. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, obviously everything isn't like always like amazing. And so I'm wondering if, if in your tough moments, if there's something that sort of like keeps you going or like what, what principle guides you? Um, even, even before you started the company and then once you, you know, are out here on your own with your own company? Yeah, that's a great question. I will say I, I really look inward to my younger self quite often. I will talk to my inner child. I will think about, you know, that student who was at NYU grinding to get to where I am today. I'll think about the assistant who felt overlooked and underappreciated. I'll think about, you know, that young executive who was taking pictures for her very first time and was offered an opportunity to take up space and use her voice for her first time. And I'll remind myself, this is what you've always wanted and this is what you've asked for. So that to me is really my guiding principle is reminding myself that I've put in so much work to get to this point and it's not worth giving up yet, you know? Um, so I think that's helped me through every job I've ever had. I remember three or four jobs ago, I was having a problem and I felt like it was because I was the youngest one on the team and I was talking to my parents and they said, 
you know, you're always going to be black. You're always going to be a woman. You're always going to be queer, but you're not always going to be young. So use it to your advantage. Find find a way to use your youth and your point of view and your perspective to your advantage. And and I, I began doing that. And so I think as I'm getting older and more seasoned in the business, I'm constantly going to refer back to that younger self because she was incredibly poised and very wise and very hungry. And so I'm, you know, I'm doing this for her. I love that. Also, that advice is good, but I don't know why anyone has never said that to me. It's good advice, right? Yeah. And now I'm going to hit 30 next year. So I guess no one's going to say it to me anymore. I know. I, I turned 30 this year too. So I'm like, I won't always, <laughs> I won't always be young, but, um, but I think, I'm, I'm always going to be able to reflect. And I think that's really, really important. As I push forward, I spend a lot of time thinking about where I've come from. Do you ever wonder what goes on behind the scenes of your favorite homegrown films and TV shows? Well, it's time to pop some popcorn, go behind the camera, and meet the people who are making it happen. I'm Mariska Fernandez, host of the Maple Popcorn Podcast. In this new series, you will discover exclusive interviews with Canadian icons and hear them talk about Canadian flicks and even break the fifth wall to share set anecdotes. This podcast is produced by The Brand is Female and powered by Telefilm Canada. Subscribe now on the podcast app of your choice and don't miss an episode. Stay in the know by visiting telefilm.ca slash see it all. And I know that you also have a weekly IGTV series named The Tea, where you invite celebrity guests to engage in powerful conversations. Is there a conversation that has like really resonated with you that you want to share? Like something that's like, I don't know, that you think about before you go to sleep or something? Hmm. That's a really interesting question. I, there's a lot of conversations that I've had now. I think we're almost on episode 20 and on some episodes we had multiple guests. So, you know, we've had almost 30 guests in three, in three seasons, but I will say, who have I loved? I talked to Janelle Monae in season one and I talked to her on November 2nd, which was the day before the presidential election. And um, that was such a moment of heightened social anxiety for everyone. Yep. We're still in the middle of the pandemic. We're away from our families. It's the start of the holiday season. We didn't know how the election was going to shake out, but we knew what the past four years had been like. And someone like Janelle, who's an artist, but also an activist, is someone that I love to talk to. Some people who use their platforms at the intersection of art and social justice. And also multi-hyphenates, right? So she is a, she's a producer, she's an actor, she's a, a singer, all kinds of things. And she had a conversation with me about when to produce art, how to produce art, what inspires her, but also when to pause and when to reflect and how to how, what her self-care routine looked like. Mm -hmm. And ever since that conversation, I've asked every single guest what their self-care routine is like. And we have a real emphasis on health and wellness and mental well-being on the show. And for someone that's so high profile like Janelle to really be able to break down what her breakdown looks like, I think is really critical. And it was also a really urgent conversation because of the election. We were able to also talk about 
you need to be voting, why that's important. Yeah. Things like that, right? So I love that conversation. I'll also say one of my really good friends, his name is Rafael Casal. He is the star of a show, well, a movie called Blind Spotting that's going to be a TV show on stars. It comes out, I think, a week from today or a week from yesterday. It'll be like June 13th for, okay. you know, when the podcast comes out, comes out on stars. Um, and he is another multi hyphenate. He is a writer, producer, poet, lyricist, director, all kinds of things. And he was able to really talk about what the life of a multi hyphenate is how to feed yourself and nourish yourself as an artist. He talked about, it was the first time he'd ever directed something. He directed the finale episode of Blind Spotting, and he talked about what it was like directing. And, and he also was the showrunner of the show for the first time. So he talked about what it means to be a showrunner. And essentially that had such a huge response that episode did. And a lot of people gave me feedback that they liked kind of the insider entertainment industry angle. Yeah. Well, I liked when you explained the development thing. Exactly, because so many people have aspirations, but they're like, I don't know how to start. I mean, how do you get to that point? And so I talk a lot to my guests about not just are you promoting any projects or what's your self-care routine, but I ask them questions about let's go back. Okay, what college did you go to? What was that experience like? What was your transition into the industry like? Most people don't know if you want to be a writer, what it means to be a writer's assistant. And I, I spoke to a, a man named Ben Corey Jones a couple episodes ago, and he was a showrunner on a lot of shows and a head writer. And he wrote on Insecure, for example. He created the show Boomerang, and he wrote on Underground and all these shows. Wow. And he said he was a writer's assistant in eight rooms before he was promoted to being a staff writer Jesus. and eight rooms. I know. And I had never heard anybody say that before. And so I love that honesty and that vulnerability of like, yeah, I've written on all these shows, but it took me eight times as being an assistant before I was able to get my first staff job. And I love, I love that perspective because I want more people to understand what that grind and hustle looks like for each role in the industry. So I have been focusing a lot more this season about, um, industry inside information. Mm -hmm. Well, I do want to ask you about that, but I think I should ask you, what is your self-care routine then? Love that question. Thank you for asking. <laughs> I, for me, it's a lot of input and output. I focus on what I'm putting in and what I want to get out. So what I put in is good food, water, rest. That's what I put in. What I get out of it is grounded, being grounded, my mind, body, and spirit, being centered. I would also say my input is I go for long walks. That really started during the pandemic. Um, almost every day, I would say I walk two to four miles, which is quite a lot. Yeah, quite a, it's a lot. It's a it's lot. A you lot. say quiet. It's a lot. I take out at least an hour in my day to go for a walk. And sometimes I walk twice a day. Um, I would say other than walking, I also just started working out with a personal trainer. I love And that's I been really, really trainers. helpful. Yeah. I do too. And he's pretty intense. I'll be sore the next day. And so that soreness is a reminder of all the hard work that I put in to get to my fitness goals. And I think that some form of movement is really critical. If I wasn't working out with my trainer, I'd be doing yoga. If I wasn't doing yoga, I'd be 
you know, going to a gym and working out by myself. So I think being able to do all of those things from eating well to resting, I think resting is so important. I love a good nap. Oh, yes. I'm a nap girl too. Yeah, I love when people say they can't nap. I'm like, I'm sorry. I don't know. I know. There was a clinical physician who said naps are reparations. Mm And I love that. <laughs> so that's what I say now. Naps are reparations. We deserve them. So yeah, that's what my self-care routine looks like. It's consistent. It's rigorous. And I'm always thinking about how I could be better taking care of myself. Mm-hmm. That's important. Like you, I, I always tell people, I'm like, I need the energy to like show love to the people in my life. And so I need to take care yeah. of myself first to do that. Yes, exactly. Well, you were speaking about the industry before. And so I want to ask, you know, what what are the steps that you think the industry can take to tackle gender equality? Because we know, obviously, there is no industry that's perfect, but there are clearly still issues when it comes to Hollywood. Yeah, Um, I would say there's a lot of different organizations that are doing incredible work Mm -hmm. in this field. I would say one of them is Time's Up. Yep. They focus on gender equality and not just gender equality, but also just women's care in general in the workplace. And it started off in Hollywood, but it's it's cross industry now, the work that they're doing. But one of the things they do every year is equal pay day. And I know that Black Women's Equal Pay Day the past few years has traditionally been in the summertime, I think in August. And that basically means that Black women have to work all the way till that date in August to make the same amount of money that white men made by the end of the the previous year. Mm -hmm. So when they do that work, I think it's part educating, but also part critical. It's a critical lens on HR departments, on hiring departments, on, you know, just on industries as a whole. And they have equal pay days for women of different ethnicities. So they break it down throughout the year. And I think that's, it really important, right? Just to understand the the pay disparity between the genders. I'll also say that they're doing a lot of great work when it comes to any sort of like harassment or assault or anything that that happens in that space. Mm-hmm. I think that's really critical too to be for women to be able to speak up and have support when they do speak up. I think that's really critical. Um, other steps that the industry can take for gender parity, I think I think it's even beyond gender parity, honestly. I think that there's a lot of work to be done for racial parity, for abilities, people with different abilities, for different orientations as well. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's a lot of work to be done, but I think I really follow the work of like Change LA, I follow the Race in the Writers Room report that comes out every year, the diversity report that comes out, the Peter Stark program at USC puts out a a study every year, UCLA puts out their own study. Um, There's several studies that come out every year, but I always follow them because I think just being armed with the knowledge Mm -hmm. and the data and the statistics is a really important place to start. Yeah. No, 100%. And who would you say are the women who have inspired you? So many women have inspired me. I think in my personal life, I would say my mom, 
She's always been a super bossy lady. Bossy, <laughs> bossy in the terms of she has really climbed the corporate ladder in her career and even changed industries at one point. She got her master's degree. She's now the vice chancellor of marketing communications at the University of Denver. And I just think it's it's really it's been really inspiring to see how a black woman has been able to reach such success in her career in public relations. So having that as someone who having her as a direct line of sight, I think has been really important to my growth and development. Outside of my personal circle, I would say in the industry, women like Shonda Rhimes have been really inspiring. You know, she's as a black woman is the highest paid showrunner, period which I think is incredible. I'm, a lot of people don't know that, but yeah, she's the highest paid showrunner in all of television. So I'm like, go Shonda. That's amazing. Literally. Yeah, I love Michelle Obama. She's absolutely incredible. I love following not just her political career and her you know, social career, but I really love watching what her and Barack are doing with their production company, Higher Ground over at Netflix. They have a lot of great programming coming out. Um, yeah. I would say that. And also I would say back to my personal circle, I have a teacher that was my teacher back in high school. Her name is Wendy Silvius. And Wendy is someone who has done a lot of work, not just in education, but also in the humanities. She does a lot of humanitarian work. And as someone who I sit at the intersection of art and activism, she's someone who has spent a lot of time studying social justice and actually doing work for the community. And so she's someone who's really inspiring to me as well. I love that. Yeah. And then do you, do you have advice for, you know, young people who may be on a similar path to you sort of at the intersection of art and activism as well? Yeah. My advice would be to make sure that you're constantly fueling both sides of your heart, meaning, find things that pump for art and find things that pump your heart for activism. It's really difficult, especially earlier on in your career, earlier on as you're trying to make money, I'll say, because you know everyone visualizes what their career, quote unquote, is in different ways. But what I'll say is, as you're trying to make money, don't set aside your passion for the money and make sure that you're constantly contributing to your community in a way that makes sense for you. So sometimes that means you're supporting your community with your art and other times it's not with your art. Sometimes it's just a matter of showing up for different movements, showing up with your enthusiasm, sharing something online with somebody else, checking in on your community and making sure everyone's doing okay. Those are all ways that you can really show up for different movements. I would also say be really cognizant of what you're consuming. Yes, that's so important. Yeah, from, from a perspective of, well, a lot of different things, but I would say for your art, make sure that you're consuming art that really fills you up and be really conscious and cognizant of what is bringing you down. I think that earlier on, it's easy to watch so many things and listen to so many things and chase a lot of things. But something that I've learned as I've gotten older is being much more discerning about what I consume. So that's also some a piece of advice that I would give to younger, younger people. No, I think that's so important because 
you you need to sort of check in on how the things you're consuming make you feel. Yeah. You know, it's okay to like unfollow someone that makes you feel bad about yourself. Yeah. Even if like you don't know the rationale behind it, like they're technically in your home. So like you can remove them from your home yeah. because you have other things to do. Yeah. I think that so much of our worlds now are very well curated. If you think about yes. your Netflix queue or you think about the friends, as you're mentioning, the friends on your social profiles. If you think about even as you order groceries, you can order groceries now and have like a perfectly curated Instacart that comes to your house. <laughs> Everything is so curated. And so because of that, I think being really conscientious about how you're curating your spaces, whether it's people, things in your house. Um, I think spring cleaning is not just for stuff. It's for people. It's for relationships. It's for all kind of habits, you know? So I think that you can constantly be taking stock in what you're doing and what you're putting out into the world. I love that spring cleaning. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. And you can spring clean at any point. You don't have to wait until May. I think that you can spring clean or winter clean or summer clean or yeah. whatever you want to do. I think that, you know, being rigorous about who and what is in your space, I think is really important. So then what would you say is your greatest fear for humanity? Whoa, that is a powerful question. My greatest fear for humanity, I think is desensitization of violence. I think that's something that I'm really fearful for because we're constantly oversaturated with like the negative news cycle. And I think it's easy to become desensitized to it. Mm -hmm. I would also say lack of human connection just because we're so online. I think that a lot of people before the internet boom were able to relate to people on a deeper level because they had opportunities to like call long distance or write each other letters or you know, as children, I remember I was only trying to keep up with the kids that were on my school bus, lived on my block and went to my school. I wasn't trying to keep up with kids who had a TikTok in Bangladesh. Like that was not something that I was trying to do. So I think it's amazing to have such a wide world view that we have now and to be able to be interconnected and connect with anybody anywhere. Mm -hmm. But I will say that it causes a form of social anxiety. It causes, you know, lack of personal self-confidence and it can kind of cut off opportunities for a genuine human connection. So I'm an, I'm an old soul. I still write letters. I still call people. I still, you know, do one-on-one -on -one trips to catch up with people. And I think that's so important. So I, I think that again, it just goes back to being like conscious and conscientious yeah. that man, have I been on my Instagram just scrolling for 10 hours today? Like, when was the last time I actually like called somebody or texted somebody or something like that? So that that's a genuine fear, I guess I would say for humanity. But I do think that there are ways to rebut that reality. Mm -hmm. I love a good letter. I think letters are so great to receive. Right? Letters and cards. Like I feel yes. like I'm always at the store buying a new card or I have my favorite stationery and stamps. Like I, I just love it. I, I have stationery that I got for my husband and me. And I was like, we sent them a thank you card for this. And he's like, oh, great. And I'm like, and we also send them this. And and he's like, okay. I'm like, you, literally your name is on all of these papers. And I'm just <laughs> sending them. And you have no idea that we, we are communicating with all these people. Um, what would you say then is your greatest hope for humanity? 
my greatest hope for humanity. I would say my greatest hope for humanity is genuine compassion and empathy. I think being able to care about somebody and their well-being, whether or not you know them or whether or not they look like you or talk like you or walk like you or have the same religion as you, I think that that is so difficult and so critical. Um, I saw a meme or a quote or something the other day that said, I love you and I don't know you. And I guess it was a conversation. And the other person said, yeah, but you don't know me. How can you love me? And the, the main person said, well, if people can hate without understanding and knowledge, then I can love without understanding and knowledge. Damn. But that was really deep and really powerful. So that's what my hope for humanity would be, would be loving without having to know all the information about somebody. I can get, I can get behind that hope. Yeah. I like that a lot. Um, well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was really lovely to speak with you. It was so nice to meet you. I can't wait to listen and keep up with you as well. And I'll send you a letter for sure. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed this conversation today and don't forget to hit subscribe and give the show a rating and review wherever you enjoy your podcast. Follow me at mungi.ingomane on Instagram. I'd love to hear from you and get your feedback on the show. I'll be back in a week with a new episode. Thank you for listening to Everyday Ubuntu.